Mindfulness Mode 264. It made me more mindful about what are my priorities, where am I placing my energy, and is it where I want and think my energy should be going? Welcome, everybody. You're listening to Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and mindfulness life coach, Bruce Lankford. This is going to be a very interesting episode. But before we get on to that, I just want to mention that last time I had a guest who was an amazing communicator, wrote an entire book about it called Conscious Communications, and it's published by Hay House. What a great read. I really enjoyed it because it gives you new insight into communicating. So if you haven't heard that episode, I would strongly suggest you might want to check it out, mindfulnessmode.com slash 263 with Mary Shores. I wanted to tell you a little story about our um, summer experience, something I never mentioned before when we were in Newfoundland. And right now I want to say a shout out to my friend Inga, who is an avid listener to Mindfulness Mode. Thank you so much, Inga, for spreading the word to your friends and enjoying the episodes. Last night, we met with friends to talk about our trip, and Inga went to Newfoundland in September while we went in August. And one of the stories we shared was that we took the ferry across from Newfoundland to Labrador, which is the mainland, and we spent two days there. Two wonderful days walking on the amazing, soft, spongy land where there's very little earth but just moss and beautiful moss at that and just a feeling like you're walking on a mattress and you could just lay down and feel this incredible softness underneath you. We stayed at a wonderful place called the Northern Light Inn. It was very comfortable and relaxing and after having breakfast the second morning we gathered our things together and left taking the ferry back to Newfoundland and then that day we got a hotel which had a washer and dryer which was easy access and so my wife Darlene said well let's do the laundry and I said yeah sure it's all in a bag I think it's in a pillowcase just why don't you go get it out of the car and she did Well, at least she went to the car to get it and she looked and looked and looked and she couldn't find it. She literally took almost everything out of the vehicle looking for it. And finally, we realized we had left it on the bed in the Northern Light Inn in Labrador. Way too far to go back to. And we thought, well, I guess that's the end of all of those clothes. And my son Ben was kind of upset because some of the shirts were special to him some of the clothes he he didn't want to have said goodbye to and we thought about it so I said well I'll tell you what I'll just make a call so I called the northern light in and they put me right through to the laundry room and I said did you happen to have found a a pillowcase full of dirty laundry and the lady said oh yes we did and it's sitting right here I'm looking right at it would you like would you like us to mail it to you and I thought wow that's service and a couple of days after we arrived home in Ontario from our trip came this box full of laundered and folded laundry which they had sent from Labrador 
And so my friends laughed so heartily about the fact that we, we went to Labrador and left our dirty laundry there. Well, there's no dirty laundry in the, the stories today that you're going to hear, but there are lots of other stories from Diane Curran, who is a marketing expert. She uses so much creativity in her marketing and talks about how teachers have had an incredible influence in her life, especially her sixth grade teacher, who was a very creative person. You'll hear her story about that. So. If you're interested in marketing at all, and if you're interested in fascinating stories, I think you're going to love this episode with Diane A. Curran. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode of Mindfulness Mode. Hey, Mindful Tribe, guess what? I have a vibrant, amazing, wise, wonderful guest with me today, and she's wow wonderful, and you're going to find out what I mean by that in a minute. (laughs) I have Diane Curran with me today. Hey, Diane, are you in mindfulness mode? You know, I sure am, and that's thanks to you because you got me. You got me tuned into that in the best possible way, Bruce. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Diane, I want to share with Mindful Tribe a little bit about you, and then we're going to have a great chat. Diane A. Curran has been immersed in marketing for quite a number of years. At one point, she worked on projects for national major direct marketing clients. Later, she became a solopreneur, consulting one-to-one, and she began something called Wow Whispering, which she's been doing business and the creative arts, ranging from boardrooms to museums, and get this, even mystical mountaintops in Peru. Diane wrote her biz book trilogy, The Marketing Deck, to give today's impatient mindset instant access to creative ideas and intuition with custom card games. So what an interesting thing is that? So Diane, so much to talk about, but let's get on the same page right away. What does mindfulness mean to you, Diane? Oh, you know, for me, it is really all about the ability to be present in the now while still distinguishing the past from the present to the future and developing that capacity. It's, it's not so much about being, you know, mind your manners. It is about really kind of learning to take a beat in the heat of the moment and then consider the impact that people and groups of people and even the natural world have on each other. And that just enlivens life, don't you think? I totally do. And speaking (laughs) of the natural world, I want to hear about your experiences in Peru. It sounds like that must have been amazing. You were on a mystical mountaintop in Peru. Tell us about that. What was it like? Well, actually, I was on the most famous one, which is Machu Picchu. And Machu Picchu uh, is the site of the ancient Inca civilizations. Uh And I've actually... You know, I went there back in the 70s, and I thought, well, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Mm-hmm. Went there with a friend of mine, and um, <laughs> this is back in the days when we were both working in an advertising agency, and I said to her, let's go somewhere. Let's let's see. Let's choose between Monte Carlo and Machu Picchu, Peru. And she says, oh, let's go to Peru. Yeah. So off we went in the middle of their winter. 
So oh. the weather was horrible. Okay. <laughs> now, it wasn't horrible in Lima, which is down at sea level, and then Cusco, which you have to get to first. But by the time we get to Machu Picchu, it was raining and spitting and terrible. And this is before they had uh, kind of made it more accessible to tourists. So you had to take this long, horrible train. By the time we got there, we were with the group. The only people who wanted to go up to the top of the mountain were my friend and I, Anita, and our guide. So we literally had the place to ourselves, oh, wow. which is kind of remarkable. And there's this crazy picture. It's a terrible photograph. Back in the days, we all had bad cameras yeah. of the t of the three of us kind of huddled together there. But the energy of the place was extraordinary. And I was so glad we did it. I wouldn't have missed it for anything. But it was just us. Well, I was just going to so, say, what was the energy like? How did you feel it? Um, you know, it, there's a sense of it being, I'm going to say, surrounded and, and kind of protected from the world. I mean, mm. even in those circumstances, that this notion that it, it's, it's very dramatic. It's, <sighs> it's like a bunch of literally pointy ice cream cones sticking up in the sky. And next to it is a smaller mountain, but even more dramatic. If you can imagine a pyramid that's very, very um, angular, mm -hmm. called Huayna Pichu, which is the little Pichu. And so we were in this place that felt like if you somehow figured out a way to arrive there in the ancient days, you would know you were in a very special and unique and protected world. So it's conducive to going inside and being very meditative, being very in touch with the larger cosmos, really, the world. So I thought I was having a once-in-a-lifetime experience, right? Right. But no, my once-in-a-lifetime trip got happened again back in the late 90s. I was okay. invited to go with a group of people who did um, metaphysical journeys and mm -hmm. took travelers. And it turns out that the original speakers for the group canceled out for whatever reason. So I got kind of shanghaied into being one of the speakers. And what an honor it was. Um, I got to talk about different systems of knowledge, got to do a meditation on top of, and this was during their summer now, so it was a completely different experience. Lots and lots of tourists around, but we went off to a particular part of Machu Picchu and did a meditation that came out of the Huna tradition, which is the Hawaiian mystical tradition, Okay. to really call in the ancestors and be in a space of embracing all of your past beyond what you could know, even in this regular everyday consciousness, up into just being present such that you could in any moment. And I, I did this really for the group to give them an access to their own, I'm going to say mindfulness is, a, is your word. Sure. And it's a beautiful word, access to all of the energy that's available to us in, our, in a given conscious moment when we feel we would need some support beyond what we feel we might be able to provide to ourselves in the moment. You know, sometimes we're stressed and yes. sometimes, you know, a, a situation comes along or a confrontation comes along and we're not sure if we can handle it. So this was a way to kind of call upon the ancestral energies and do it in a way that brings you a feeling of being supported, even though you can't see the support. And you know what? It changes your way of being. 
So what a what an extraordinary gift that was. And there were many more, but that was the one that really stands up for me. And you know what it's doing to me as you tell me about it? I'm just feeling like, oh, as I breathe in, I just feel like I can imagine that that feeling of that space that just feels so mystical and the energy is amazing there. Like you're, you're telling me in such a way that it, oh, wow, that must have been an absolutely fantastic experience. Well, it was. And you know what's even more amazing? I have a brand new experience now that's connecting me to that. You know, I am a docent at one of the larger museums in Los Angeles, the Getty yes. Center. Right. And they have an exhibit that's just opened up, which is called Golden Kingdoms. And what okay. it is, is a collection that's been assembled of more than 300 art and artifacts, mostly from ancient Peru. And I am I feel like when I walk into that, it brings me right back to that experience. Ah, wow. <laughs> it's remarkable. Um, the, the people... Uh, in ancient Peru were such skilled artists and craftspeople. And they, and, and this is one of the themes of the exhibit is that gold and silver is something that the modern mind recognizes as having value, right? Everybody right. Yes. kind of is ex excited by that, mesmerized by it. But what the Peruvians, the ancient Peruvians and other Mesoamerican um, civilizations valued even more were feathers and stones and shells and weaving. And so they brought the same reverence and energy to creating works of art out of those materials. And to see them all displayed together, the gold, the silver, and all these other materials, it's so inspiring, Bruce. I, wow. I can't tell you the experience. So I feel like I'm having three lifetimes in one year. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. And what else is amazing is that you are a wow whisperer. And I want to hear all about that, how that originated, came to be, and what that really truly means. Well, for me, it came out of literally listening to my clients in, mm -hmm. in the world of my work in marketing. Okay. And what I mean by that is that they would come to me and seek out to have their brand identified, developed, their message developed, both in terms of the words that they would want to say, but also the image that they would want to present to the world. And so I'm a big listener. I love talking, but I love listening too. Right. And so I would listen to what they had to share with me. I would see kind of what was so for them. And then I'd go away and do my work. And then I'd present something to them. And remarkably, very commonly, the first word out of their mouth was, wow. I thought that it was important for me to hear what they were saying to me. Sure. And I decided that I'd better take that on because that was the experience that was being mutually created. So for me, wow is a very expressive word. We all, we all know what it is without even having to define it, right? Yes, we do. Absolutely. We say it and it comes out of our mouth and wow. But then there's the whispering part, which is the part where it's kind of intimate, it's quiet, it's present, and it's connective. So I thought for me, it's a combination of the expressive and the intimate. And so that's something I find myself experiencing with my clients and with people. And so I thought it would be appropriate to be willing to take that on. Yeah, well, I think it's wonderful. And I think, you know, today some people might 
be in that situation and say, oh, I'm a branding expert, but wow whisperer is a whole different level of that. And you just obviously have this natural ability to pick this up, but you also have tremendous wisdom. And I know that because I met you at the New Media Summit in San Diego and just talking with you, I'm I'm sure like in the first 30 seconds. I'm like, wow, this woman has amazing wisdom. I've got to have her on my show. So you have done 4,000 presentations, over 4,000. It's it's really surprising to me. Even I can't ignore that apparently I do like to talk. Uh, <laughs> and what happened was I was writing, I was writing a chapter in a collaborative book and it was about standing out in a crowd. And I thought, well, gee, what gives me the right to even talk about this subject? So I decided I would count up all the times I had presented over the years since I embarked on my career. And what I found was it was like watching a movie of my past. So I I literally made a spreadsheet because I love spreadsheets. They're fun. They're like little maps. And I literally started counting up all the different venues, all the different things I've done. And to my shock and amazement, I conservatively estimated about 4,200. I thought, well, there's a number that actually tells me that uh, this is something I have a, maybe a word or two to talk about. <laughs> right, for sure. Well, you have this amazing ability to communicate with whoever it is. And I'm sure a lot of it has to do with the fact that you're such a great listener, because I think that's such a huge part. You know, so many people think, you know, communication is about speaking. And really, it's obviously about listening more sometimes even than speaking. But when it comes to mindfulness, what do you think is the mindfulness element that makes you such a great speaker and presenter? I actually consider listening to be a very active experience. It's it's not simply hearing words that are coming your way or hearing sounds that are coming your way. It is about noticing what's inside that. In other words, when someone's speaking with you, what what are their hopes and dreams and wishes? What are they seeking to create with their life? And if you can tune into that, because oftentimes it's kind of, I'm going to say it's sparkling in between the words. Okay. And, you know, and you're smiling right now. So I, I, I sense that we relate on this beautifully. Yes. And when you can hear that, hear the silence and hear into it, it it completes that conversation and it actually makes you somebody who people want to speak with. I totally understand this. You said, (laughs) hear the silence. But, you know, Mindful Tribe, maybe you're listening to this thinking, what on earth does this mean, hear the silence? How would you explain that to us, Diane? So... There's a little something that uh, I will say to you, and that is from the time I was a young kid, I noticed that if I woke up in the morning, and I I really started to pay attention to this when I was about eight, if I wanted to stay in bed because I somehow thought it would be nice to stay in bed because it's comfortable, I had to keep my eyes shut. Mm -hmm. But if I opened my eyes, I would literally spring out of bed. So I had too much energy for my own good. (laughs) So what I noticed was that meditating, as I started to get older and be interested in meditating, is the meditating that really made sense for me was literally a walking meditation. Uh Because then I'd be off in the world, off in either nature or the city, but I would be quiet. And 
So I would become inspired by the experience of walking. And so that would tend to come up. But I noticed that literally sitting and meditating was a little tough for me because I'd have all these ideas and I'd want to spring up and start doing something. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> I certainly get that. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's almost too much inspiration. So lately I found a new technique that is working beautifully for me. Ah. And that is um, a series of audio tapes that have been created by a, a group called Centerpoint. I don't know if you've yes. ever come across uh, them. Yes, I have. Ah, so they have a series of meditations that are sound-based, and the first ones that they start you out with have rain and Tibetan bells. And I thought, well, sign me up for that. That sounds, yes. that sounds like I'm going to – and I love it. It is. It has enough going on that it allows me to, to be with the sound, and the sound is very intentional. Uh, they've created and constructed something that is really quite profound, and it, it almost – it, well, not almost. It does guide your consciousness into a very deep place. So I find that I am more relaxed now when I'm listening to those meditations than I would expect to be because there's enough in them. There's enough energy in them that it actually makes me listen. Wow. I love that. I love that. Well, I want to go back to your childhood and I want to hear a little bit more about what kind of person you were because you shared that, a glimpse of that with us. Tell us something you've never told anyone before about your childhood. What pops into your mind? From the time I was a little kid, I I loved to draw and I yes. loved to do things. And I, I was very fortunate to have a little brother who was willing to be my co-conspirator. So what we would do is we would we were lucky enough to have board games, things like, I don't know, shoots and ladders and yeah. different kinds of games uh, that were common in those days. So, but, but somehow the games sometimes could get a little boring because you go around the board and there it is and you get to the end yeah. and okay, what do you le what's left to do? The, the same thing again. Yeah. So somehow... Between the two of us, we, we dreamt up this idea of taking all the parts and pieces in the board games, the little, the little plastic pieces and the icons, yeah. and we would create different worlds out of them. Ah. So we would gather them all together, forget about the board itself, forget about the rules. And um, back in those days, if you went to a birthday party, you were lucky if you got a little plastic basket that had little pieces of candy in it. That was like the big favor, right? Right, sure. So we saved those. And I noticed if you turn, if you took the little handle off and turned it upside down, it looked like a table with a tablecloth. Oh, yes. <laughs> so we would, we would spread out on the floor and we would make these little tables. And then the little pieces from the games would be the people. And, and we would just tell stories back and forth to each other about what was happening. Wow. And it just became this fun thing that we would do. And somehow we would spend hours doing this. And then we, we discovered that we could make houses with decks of cards. And oh. so we added to that. And so we'd make these card houses and we'd take, find as many decks as we could in the house and spread out over the whole floor. The only problem was my mother had a rule, which is you have to clean that up by the time we have supper because uh -huh. nobody could walk there. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it was our private little world, and we didn't really share it with anybody but each other. Well, I think that sounds like it was the basis for something that happened later called the marketing deck. 
Could that have had anything to do with how the marketing deck evolved? You know, I think it really did because inside of the cards would be these these games and these stories that you could tell. And we would really have fun with literally what did the design of the cards look like and how the what the patterns were that you can make. So I was always fascinated with that. But this idea that there was something more, a story inside the cards, probably was planted in a way that I was never conscious of. And lo and behold, years and decades later, guess what happened? (laughs) I dreamt up a new way to use the deck of cards because everybody knows cards. I mean, most of us are lucky enough to have a deck when we're kids and we learn how to play. Right. So I somehow get this idea of, wait a minute. I'm getting a minute or two older. What could I do to take what I put inside my head and get it out into the world without my even being there? Ah, a deck of cards. I could take all these marketing subjects, which drive people crazy because there's too many things to think about, right? Right. And I can put it into a system of knowledge inside a deck of cards. I could make different subjects be different suits and different topics be the different cards. And lo and behold, this intuition just came up And it was a very fast process to come up with this idea. But then it took me a really long time to write the book to go with it. (laughs) Right. Okay. And when did you publish the book? The book has been out for just uh, about 13 months, actually, a little over a year. Right. Yeah. And I I published the, 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 so the deck of cards and the book that I wrote to go with it. And then um, I actually published not a workbook, but a play-by-play book. Uh-huh. to go and give people tools so they could take all those ideas they captured and actually write them down and keep them in an idea bank and use them later. So I thought, okay, now we got all three pieces. We're we're good to go. <laughs> right. That sounds fantastic. So tell us about some of the results, some of the people who have used this method and found success. Well, I have uh, had the good fortune to work with uh, some groups of folks that I invited to play the games. And some of the games are as simple as literally picking cards at random out of the deck. People seem to like that a lot because it's quick and it's fast. And what I noticed is in one of my groups, there is a woman who's a professional psychologist and a woman who's a professional writer. And through coming up with the cards, they, they were able to identify their strong suits, what they're good at. And they discovered that they wanted to collaborate together to create a project because the one who was a psychologist said, I don't want to write a book, but I probably should. And the other writer said, well, I can help you with that in social media. So off they went to create this project. They're still working on it together, but they would never have known that that was an opportunity if they hadn't played this game, Uh not knowing what the result was going to be. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. That's a wonderful story. Yeah, so you're helping so many people through the book and the cards, the game, and the the book. is. Does the book have the same name, the marketing deck? It does, yeah. And so the book, uh, they're all they're all on Amazon, but the marketing deck will get you get you to all three, and then there are subtitles for each one. And right. in fact, can I tell you one quick other yes, story? Yes, please do. There's a, a woman that I know who's a professional seamstress, and she is extraordinary. She's she can design clothes from scratch, but she also has this amazing ability to recreate clothes that are, are old and not working for people. Right. So she was she was interested in the book and. She hosted a couple of events at her home, and she said, I'm amazed. She said, marketing is not something I normally like to do, but this makes it fun. Ah. 
So she was able to transform her relationship with something she has to do for her business, but it wouldn't be her first choice if she could get around it, right? Like many people. So now it's something that she feels she can actually have fun at. Oh, that's great. You've put marketing (laughs) within reach of even those of us who feel like we can't do it. And that's really powerful. Well, I want to switch as we're moving closer to the end of our interview. I want to switch over to the topic of bullying. And having worked in that field for quite a long time, I always like to ask a question about this. Have you ever been bullied either when you were a child or in your career, in your professional career? Do you have a story that you could share about bullying? You know, I actually do, and I really want to just acknowledge your work in that field because it's so important for people to recognize when they're being bullied and also when others around them are being bullied. True. And I thought about how oftentimes the stories that we hear are of kids being bullied in school. Yes. And a lot of times it's kid to kid, right? Yes, it it is. But my experience was different. My experience was a teacher bullying me as a kid, which you would never expect. So I have teachers that are just like the light of my life. And then I have a second story, if we have time for it, of kids bullying a teacher. But the first experience I had was in the fifth grade. I had a music teacher. I was playing the cello. He had taught me. I'd studied it for one year. Right. Had been invited into a quartet. We played a concert. It went over really well. And I was surprised at how wonderful an experience that was. And this teacher, after the concert was over, came to my fifth grade classroom and took me out of my class, got permission from my regular teacher, took me out of class, brought me into the hallway and stood there with his arms folded and said, well, Diane, I want to tell you something important. You know, I know that you are studying piano in addition to studying the cello and any good musician has to choose one. And they cannot do two instruments because it doesn't work and you have to choose. And I looked at him. He was very stern. I said, what are you saying? He says, I want you to choose between the cello and the piano. And I looked at him and I said, are you telling me I have to do that right now? And he said, yes. Oh, my gosh. And what I said was, well, in that case, I choose the piano. And he turned on his heel and stomped down the corridor and left me there in this darkened hallway. And that was the end of my cello career. Oh, my goodness. So I would say that qualifies as bullying. That is really, really unfortunate. You know, what... What a situation that he put you in, and it's so, you know, uncalled for completely. And, you know, he had been before that, I was his little prodigy and all the rest of it, but he forced the choice. He wanted that much control, and as we know, bullying, it it involves manipulation and control and power plays and and, and cowardice, because off he he went because he didn't like what I said. No, no. Instead of saying, well, wow. If he had been mindful, he said, you know, that was not what I was expecting you to say. And let's see if we can work something out. Of anything, course. Anything could have been better than that. Right. Do we have time for my second Yeah, we do. Thing? We do have time for it. I can't wait to hear it. This was in high school. I was in senior year in high school. 
And this is students bullying a teacher. I was in math class and we had a math teacher and there were some kids in that class that were just nasty kids and they were seniors in high school and they were, they were boys and they thought they were hot stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And they decided they could pick on this, this teacher who was a mild mannered kind of nervous guy Mm -hmm. who was doing his best to teach us who knows what it was. It was, it it was advanced algebra, not, not most kids favorite subject to begin with. And they were the meanest thing. And over the course of several months, they literally got to the point where they would be throwing chalk at the teacher when he was turned to write on the board and laughing and just being so mean. And this teacher was so mild mannered. He would try and kind of laugh it off and, you know, but you could see it was really, really getting to him. And these boys were just so mean. They literally got to the point where they would throw the chalk intentionally at the teacher's back to hit him and snicker and laugh. And and the rest of the class had no idea what to do because they were they were bullies and they were tall. Who's no who knows what they do to us. Right. Well, got to a certain point where it was just a mess. And I had forgotten this, but when I went to my 15th high school reunion, a friend of mine from that class reminded me, he said, Diane, don't you remember what happened? I said, no. He said, well, he said, after class, you got me and and Barbara aside and said, what can we do about this? So we all marched down to the principal's office and told the vice principal what was going on. Oh. That next Monday, that teacher was gone because he was on a leave of absence, Mm -hmm. and a new teacher came in, and this teacher let us know right off the bat that he had been a sergeant major in the service. Right. And he was not a tall man, but I'll never forget his name was Mr. Raleigh, spelled R-A-H-I-L-L-Y. And he made darn sure that everybody knew exactly how to pronounce it. And he took that class in hand like nothing flat. (laughs) And at the end of the year, he said, now I've got the grades for everybody. He says, and I'm going to, on principle, mark everyone down one grade from what they tested at, except for three people. And I won't tell you who they are, but that's how it's going to go. And what it was, was those of us who had voiced something were allowed to keep our grade, and those who had kept quiet were not, including all the bullies. So it's extraordinary how sometimes you have to wait for something to transform. But that teacher was very mindful, so much so that he thought, you know, I'm not just teaching math, I'm teaching life, right? Yeah, for sure. And you are when you're a teacher. I mean, and we're all doing that even if we're not teachers. You know, we're all we're all doing that kind of thing, influencing others and modeling for others without even knowing it. And uh, so what a great story, Diane. Diane, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. And the first one is this. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? I'm going to say my sixth grade teacher. She was somebody who had previously worked in advertising, but switched to teaching. And yet she brought her love of art to everyone in the class no matter what their talents were. And she was present and giving to everyone. And it reminded me that giving is really a gift that is available and should be given to everyone. And so that kind of maybe for me is a a form of mindfulness. 
Yeah, I think that is mindfulness. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Diane, or or even the emotions of some of your clients? Well, for for my emotions, it has allowed me to um, pull myself up when I'm feeling the pressure or the stress of a deadline and just say, you know what, Diane, the, here is the deadline and here's how far you are. Let's see what you can get done and not be anxious about it because that just gets in the way of actually accomplishing anything. So my emotions are willing to be as wild and crazy as anybody's, <laughs> but I realize they're only one part. So they can coexist with something else that I can't even define, but I think you've got the word for it, mindfulness. Right. Well, tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness, Diane. Oh my gosh. I, um, I have had to learn to rebreathe because apparently I have a little hitch in my breathing and my various, um, my various wellness coaches have taught me some breathing techniques. So I've learned to slow down and breathe through my diaphragm and, you know, just literally become present to the physicality of breathing. And once I become present to how physical a process it is, it just really evens me out and brings me present and kind of calms down those emotions. It's amazing how it does that, isn't it? (laughs) Could you share a book that you would uh, recommend that you feel is related to mindfulness? You know, I, the one that really pops to mind is Louise Hay's classic um, called Heal Your Body. Now we know that Louise Hay has has uh, left our immediate realm. Yes. But she wrote a book that has changed so many people's lives that I use it all the time because what she does is she brings this notion of affirmations together with the physical body so that you're able to connect mindful statements with an experience of physicality that transforms your well-being. I think that is so powerful. And her book is always never far from me. So I use it all the time. I love that recommendation. Could you recommend an app which helps you to be more mindful? Maybe it's a productivity app. Maybe it's directly a mindfulness app. I don't know. Do you have one? I have one I use all the time. And it's actually a time tracking app. (laughs) It's a a company called getharvest.com. And I literally track my time. It's appropriate for me to do that professionally. But what I discovered was that when I started tracking other things that I do, it made me more mindful about what are my priorities? Where am I placing my energy? And is it where I want and think my energy should be going? And it has actually made me so much more at ease about even things like sleeping, like how much sleeping am I doing? And how much exercising am I doing? And how much time am I spending with friends and family, I can actually correct for that if it's out of balance. I love tracking my time. Oh, well, I'm going to try that. And I don't think a single person has ever recommended that app on my show. So I'm really excited that you shared with me a brand new app that I've never heard of. So this is really going to be fun. How can we reach out to you? How can we connect with you and learn more about what you do, Diane? Well, a great way to reach me is um, on my website, and it's also the name of my business page on Facebook and my etc. So it's called the Marketing Deal D E A L dot com. So that's a great way to connect with me, and all my social media icons are there. 
On Twitter, I'm Wow Diana Curran. <laughs> but you can reach me on the website and just get anywhere else from there. Wow, Diane Curran. <laughs> Diane A. Curran, right? Wow. I love my middle initial because my brother and I have the same the same initials. So we both put the A in our name there. D-A-C. <laughs> and that and that makes it specifically you. Wow, Diane A. Curran. And wow, <laughs> I've enjoyed this chat. Wow, Mindful Tribe, you are going to be saying the same thing at this point in the conversation. Wow, this was enjoyable. Well, it has really been a pleasure, Diane. And thank you so much for sharing everything with us. And have a great Great rest of your day, Diane. Oh, Bruce, it has been my honor and my pleasure. And I can tell that you're already having a great rest of your day. So keep on keeping on. Thank you so much, Bruce. I will, Diane. Bye now. Bye. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.